Well, good morning, Connection Church. It is great to be with you this morning. I, I again, want to echo Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. I'm so excited for uh, all the moms um, that we have in our church, and it's just so life-giving to see kids running around and, and children being uh, poured into by Olivia and the KK team and so many other things. But since nobody else has the camera this morning, I want to say a special happy Mother's Day to my wife, Macy. You are an incredible mother, and I love you so much. Thank you for all that you do for our kids. And also to my mom, uh, Nita Thigpen, you are an incredible mom, and I love you so much. Uh, and I wanted to take advantage of the fact that I am preaching on Mother's Day uh, to single you guys out as mothers in my life that I love so much. Uh, and thank you for, for all that you mean to me and all that you've done uh, for me. I would not be who I am without the moms in my life. And I'm sure uh, every person in this room and everybody watching would echo the same thing. Uh, with that said, I want to I wanna pray for Mother's Day, but I also want to highlight um, one other thing that I just can't really move forward without addressing, which is um, the fact that Ahmad Arbery's mother uh, is going to have a particularly hard day. Uh, she is going to be struggling with the fact that, uh, that her son lost his life in a, in a terrible, uh, terrible, um, evil moment. Um, and we as a church collectively grieve uh, over that. Um, I have no words. I have nothing that I can say to uh, make the situation better, to fix it. I don't even know what to say. Um, but I, 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 just, I just lift uh, that family up. I just lift um, every single um, African-American brother and sister in our church that this is a reality that they see Ahmad lose his life and they feel the same type of fear uh, that that could be them, that could be their son, that could be their daughter, that could be their mother, that could be their father with a level of fear that I, as a white man, just simply cannot uh, and, and begin to comprehend. So I, have, I don't have the right words for it, but I just wanna take a moment, acknowledge it, and I just wanna say for myself, and I know for all of our team, we wanna listen. I, I wanna learn, I wanna, I wanna know more, I wanna be able to empathize better, and I want to be able to love better. Um, so with that, I just wanna pray for our moms. We celebrate our moms. I also recognize this, is that not just Ahmad's mom, uh, but also there's a lot of women in our church that um, this is a hard day for them as well between struggling to conceive or having lost kids or any number of circumstances to where for a lot of us, Mother's Day is a joy-filled day. For other moms, this is a really hard day. And other, other women that desire to be moms, this is a hard day. So and all of the beauty and all of the, the glory and all of the wonder, but then also all of the tragedy and the pain. I just wanna lift all of this up uh, to Jesus now. Lord Jesus, there's no shadow that you won't light up, Lord. There's no mountain you won't climb up. God, and we just believe that even in the most evil of circumstances like murder. We believe that even in the, the most difficult circumstances, though, Lord, we, we cry out that we can't understand it, of being able to, or wanting to, to have a child and not being able to have one. Lord, we just surrender these things to Christ, knowing that in every circumstance, you are a good father. Lord, that you want to turn our mourning to laughter. Lord, that you want to dry every tear. So, Lord, we just bring this, we lay this before you. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Please come. 
give comfort, give gladness, give praise. Jesus, you're worth it. You're worthy. God, and I pray that you would move in our lives today through your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we are in a series called Opportunity. We are thinking through uh, things like God's design for the church, the opportunity that we have to think on that, or uh, letting idols lay. What opportunity do we have uh, in this season of life, uh, given this global pandemic that we're experiencing, to maybe shed some things that have held us back as the big C church? And today, I want to think through another opportunity we have. Uh, and if we had you know, an auditorium full of people, this would look a little different. Uh, but I, I want to think about a moment. I want to think about the moment when Peter denies Jesus, denies knowing Jesus. I want to read that for us, and then I want to think through a little bit together. This is Luke 22, starting in verse 54. They seized him, him being Jesus, and they led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, he, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't, I don't know him. After a little while, someone saw him and said, you're one of them too. He said, man, I am not. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, if we were all together, as I'm greatly looking forward to doing here in the next couple of weeks, um, I, I would have maybe taken this jar, maybe gotten a few people to write some responses down or, or prepped it ahead of time. And uh, what I did is I took our production and worship team and asked them the same questions as well as some of our other pastors and said, or I just asked the question, what do you think was motivating Peter in that moment? What do you think, what, 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 would, what would motivate Peter to deny Jesus. Like, Jesus, Peter was there with Jesus walking on the water. He was there with Jesus when he's transformed on the mountain. He's there uh, all throughout the ministry of Jesus, seeing uh, loaves of bread and fish just multiplied across thousands of people. And it gets down to the moment, right? Like, Peter, here's your moment. And he denies Jesus. And I just, as I'm thinking about going into this week and going into this opportunity series, I felt like the Lord really gave me something, put something on my heart. And this was a text that stood out. And I asked our staff, what, what would motivate Peter to deny Jesus? And so let's look at a few of their answers. I've put a few here in this jar. Fear, fear. We got... Fear mixed with doubt, that was one response that maybe he began like, ah, so Jesus is actually being arrested and crucified. Like maybe there's a, a thread of doubt in Peter's mind. Again, fear. 
Grab the rest of these. Fear. Fear mixed with pride. Our, our uh, staff uh, theologian noticed that maybe it was pride in Peter's life that was developing, that he, was, he didn't want to be one of them, perhaps, maybe thinking about it that way, but probably fear as well. And then uh, my favorite one, I'll single Brandon out for this one. He said, Peter was a chicken. So that was, uh, that was Brandon's answer for what was going on in, in Peter's heart. But that is exactly what I thought too. Looking at this text, thinking through Luke 22, I'm thinking through is, is our opportunity that we have is to move from fear to fearless. Um, I, I, I was thinking through, just imagine me in, in like thinking through the sermon, like when's the moment when somebody in the Bible has been afraid? It would seem like Peter denying Jesus. And as I studied this, this text, as I looked at Luke 22, it's fascinating to me that Jesus nor Luke as the writer ever mentions fear. Luke never mentions that Peter was afraid. In fact, if we look back to Jesus telling Peter that he was gonna deny him, Jesus seems to intentionally link Peter's denial to faith. This is Luke 22, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I think it is worth considering in this moment that Luke doesn't highlight fear. I think it's worth considering that Jesus doesn't pray for Peter's fear to leave. He, he prays that his faith would remain. So am I saying that Peter denying Jesus is because he didn't have faith? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I think back to all these things that Peter would have seen and experienced. Surely he was not, would we say, denying the faith, right? But I think, and this is the broader conversation that I wanna have today, is that the opportunity that we have uh, is for God to turn fearful people into fearless people. This is what I begin to see about fear as I look at scripture is that fear can drive us to do things that our faith would never imagine. Fear can drive us to do things that our faith would never imagine doing. Peter never imagined that he would deny Jesus, right? Like Peter never denied, like out of all of these jokers that follow Jesus, I'm gonna be the one to stand before, like within eyeshot of Jesus and deny that I even know him. Fear drove Peter to do something that his faith in Jesus never imagined that he would do. So here's the opportunity that we have as a church today. We're talking through the fact that God can still take fearful people, people just like Peter, just like me and you, can take fearful people and make them fearless. So let's think through a few things. What do we mean by fear? What do I mean by fear? I'm, I'm primarily thinking through today for us as fearful people, those things that are kind of common experiences of fear for us. What I mean by fear is things like anxiety, doubt, 
Maybe shyness. Maybe shyness could be linked to, uh, to fear. I know I, I watch my little, my little three-year-old kind of cower behind mama's legs and maybe she's fearful in that moment. Maybe, maybe uh, other forms of shyness are. I think of panic. Having a spirit of, of being panicky about stuff can be, maybe, maybe that's the form of fear that we need to think about. Maybe just tension, feeling tense and, and just uptight about stuff, feeling like you can't let things go, you can't uh, turn things over to the Lord. I think if you uh, took maybe some homework with you and, and, and looked through scripture at some moments, I think all of these things are valid things to think about of things that we need to turn over to the Lord and to be set free from a spirit of fear. But maybe we're thinking through this and maybe the next question that we need to ask is, When we're thinking through this, do we, do we need to go that far as to say, is fear itself a sin? And here's what I would say to that. Sin is a, or fear is a sin in as much as uh, the action that we take in light of it. Is fear a sin? It depends on the actions that we take in light of the fear. I think of Peter's fear leading him to deny Jesus. Certainly as you're watching your uh, leader in Jesus being taken into handcuffs and being taken, knowing the type of torment that he's about to face, that fear is going to remain, right? Like if people start saying, uh, associating, oh, well, Peter, you were definitely with Jesus, that, that fear remains what Peter chooses. A couple other passages that are going to help us think through that. But in general, we're going to look maybe specifically at Numbers 13 and 14. We're going to look specifically, we've looked at Luke 22. We're also going to look at Judges chapter 6. But here are a few things in, in studying the Bible and thinking about the topic of fear. Here are a few bullet points that I'd leave with you. What does the Bible say about fear? I think it says a few things. I think it says, one, it is, it is often tied to our faith. Jesus prays that Peter's faith would stand and in the moment, Peter's fear drove him to do something that his faith would have never imagined that he would have done. It does seem to be tied to our faith. It was the root of serious actions that led to sin. We're going to look at that in Numbers 13 and 14, but also we see this here with, with Peter. And this is one that I found encouraging. God often meets us in our fear. What does the Bible tell us about fear? It tells us that God often meets us in our fear. You can look through countless examples in scripture, but one of them we're gonna look at is Judges chapter six and look at Gideon. Here's one that I love from Luke 22. Past fear does not disqualify us from future fruitfulness. The second half of Jesus's words to Peter is that I've prayed that your faith may stand I've prayed that your faith may not fail and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I love that. I love that Jesus is already banking on Peter's future fruitfulness. Like Jesus's encouragement for the other brothers, for the other disciples, he is banking on Peter being faithful. That in between right now and that fruitfulness is a paralyzing sense of fear. I love that about our Lord, that he does not disqualify our future use in his kingdom by present fear or even failure. 
And lastly, one that I want to think about, this is also with Gideon. God often calls us to something better even while we're in the midst of our fear. God often calls us to something better even while we're in the midst of our fear. So with that said, let's look at Numbers chapter 13. We're going to primarily, on your screen will be Numbers 13, but some of our application from it will be in 14. I'm going to start in uh, verse 17. This is the scene where um, the Israelite people are, are right on the verge of the promised land. And Moses is commissioning out 12 people to go into the promised land, look at the land, take an overview, bring back a report. I want you to pay specific attention to what it is that God is actually asking of Israel. And then we're going to look back towards the end of 13 and we're going to see how they persuade the people in light of what they saw. Starting in verse 17. When Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, go up this way to the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as uh, Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. They, want, they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were living. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to the valley of Eshol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut down. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. So what do we see here? Moses sends them on this mission. Hey, go check out this land. Be courageous. Hey, it's grape season. Bring back some grapes. And what these guys wind up bringing back is a cluster of grapes so big that it had to be carried on two poles because the grapes were so big. In other words, what uh, Numbers is trying to communicate to us is that this land is fruitful. This land is incredibly fruitful. And they go and they see the land. And what they notice are the descendants of Anak are there. All that to say, the main point of this is that really big people lived in the land. These big, tall giants. And they're going to reference this here in a minute. What they see is extreme fruitfulness and extreme danger. And they're walking into this trying to think through it. But what what I find fascinating about this that I think we need to think about is, is God not already aware of what the land is like? Like, is, is this report for God, for him to find out what the land is like? Or is this, is this for the people? Is there something that is meant to be formed in the heart of the people? Let's keep reading, starting back in verse 26. The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land, 
they reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. Basically, on all sides, there's opposition. There's nowhere in the land that's not occupied with people or potential danger. danger, Potential danger. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, we must go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't can't go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. So so, So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The offspring of Anak were descended from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. What happens is, is that out of the 12 people sent into the land, 10 of them bring back this negative report. And here's what's important for us, is that the things that they saw struck fear in their hearts. They saw these giant people that seemed unconquerable to them. They scouted the land. There wasn't an easy place to get a foothold. I mean, stepping into the land, it was gonna be conflict. It was gonna be hard right off the bat. There's no getting around it. However, the land that they saw was fruitful. It was, in other words, it was exactly as the Lord promised them that it would be. They, God promised them that it was going to be a fruitful land. God promised them that this was the land that would sustain them as a people. And yet, as they go and they scout out the land, what they see is this land is scary. They have fear in their hearts. Now, here's what they chose to do with that fear. Here's the action that they chose to take with that fear. The fear isn't the problem. It's what that fear led the people to do that is the problem. God wasn't calling them to an easy thing. He was calling them to a great thing, and great things come with great challenges. So what did fear lead these people to do? Number one, it led them to bear a false report. They came back and said things like, This is a land that devours the people that are in it. It just overcomes them. It just overtakes them. The fear led them to bear a false report about what it is that they saw. Caleb and Joshua come back and say, we can surely conquer it. The Lord is with us. The other 10 come back and use their fear to bear a false report to the people. Number two, it doubted, it caused them to doubt their ability despite having heard from God. And that's the real problem, isn't it? Like they, the people of God have seen signs and wonders aplenty to know that they can trust God to do extraordinary things. In fact, when God is reflecting on this moment, he says, have they forgotten what I did to deliver them from Egypt? And they get right up to the promised land and they see these people. And despite what God has said, despite what God has said, they doubt their own ability to take the promised land. 
This is one that I think is particularly interesting to us is they use the those people are over there argument. They get right up to the promised land and they're like, but the Nephilim live there. They live there. We can't go in there. It's those people that are in there. And they use, they create a sense of fear of other people and what they are like to spread doubt into the heart of all the people of the land that keeps them from obeying what God has already told them. Those people live there. We can't go there. We can't do what God has said. Not there. Let's go to this other place where those people are not. We'll be more fruitful there. Our plans will work there. Our strategies will work there. But over there is not where God was calling us. We're called to this land to take this land regardless of what people are there. And that's what Caleb and Joshua are trying to rally the people to see. This one's really clear from reading on in in chapter 14. Fear led the people to adopt a spirit of fear and complaining. uh, Numbers 14.2 says this, all the Israelites complained about Moses. This is over 600,000 people, by the way. All the Israelites community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. It's like, basically, regardless of all the faithfulness of God in the past, regardless of all the miraculous things we have seen, I would have rather those things not happen and died out there than to try to take one next step into God's next calling for our lives. They adopted a spirit of fear and complaining. And ultimately, and this is what's really important for us, is that here's here's how God reckons this moment. Here's here's God's eyes on this, this moment that the people adopt the spirit of fear, of complaining, of uh, using an argument against a particular type of people. Here's how God interprets this moment. This is 1411. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? Fear will, will push us to do things that our faith never imagined that we would do. But when we are given over to that spirit of fear, God says these sinful actions that we take is like us despising him. It's like us looking at the cross and saying, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And it is not, it has no bearing on how I feel right now. God says, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them? Despite everything I've done, despite everything I've shown them, despite the fact that I, God, Yahweh, the the one true God, have been present with these people, these people that were delivered from slavery and brought into a fruitful land with grapes bigger than the drum set. Despite all of that, they despise me. I don't know about you, but I would never wanna break the Father's heart that way. I would never want to look at all that he's done in my life and because of a fear of the unknown 
or even fear of the known take a step back from stepping in obedience to what God's calling me to. But I guess that's what we're really asking ourselves this morning is does God still take fear-filled people in moments just like this that Israelite people are experiencing right before they go into Canaan? Does God still today, 2020, at Connection Church, does he still take fear-filled people and make them fearless. So what moves us from fear to fearless? What moves us from fear-filled to fearless? A couple of things. Number one, I think a vision for something greater. We're gonna see this in Gideon, but we also see this in Caleb and Joshua is they had a vision for something greater. They had a vision that Though, I, though these people can't see it right now, God has promised us something greater. God has promised us something better. The Lord will be with us. They had a vision for something greater, but then also an external power. That's true in my life. Nothing motivates or moves me uh, into the unknown quite like the power of the Holy Spirit moving me along. I've been thinking about this a lot this week and I I wish I could bring every person in our church into the quiet times that I've had with the Lord this week. Um, This week has been hard for me. Um, I buried my grandmother yesterday um, and I I did part of her funeral. Um, And just being present with my dad as uh, his mother took her last breath Um, And just being there with family, um, I had a moment to reflect and really think about it. And I can't remember a week where I've felt closer to Jesus. I can't remember a time where the presence of the Lord felt so real. And that type of external power present in my life has pushed me to say yes to hard things, to step into the unknown, to, to love in ways that are outside of the ways that I would normally push myself to be present with people. And that's what I see in the lives of Caleb and Joshua. That's what I see in the life of Gideon is that there is an external power pushing them forward. And in both of those, whether it is a vision for something greater or an external power, both of those come from simply being in the presence of the Lord. Friends, nothing is gonna move us from fear-filled to fearless like simply being in the presence of the Lord. This is, this is one of our greatest opportunities as the church. We have moved from the Holy Spirit being Moses alone having this huge responsibility Uh, The text says later that uh, Moses felt overwhelmed at the idea of leading so many people into such a great endeavor. And it says that the Lord took just part, just part of the spirit that rested on Moses and he put it on these other elders, these other leaders that could bear the weight around him. And it says just simply having a part of the spirit just moved the people along and it gave them further vision. In other words, experiencing the presence of God pushed them into the unknown. They said yes to fear, 
fearful moments in a fearless way. Our opportunity is to change the world with a limitless God. That's our opportunity. One of our greatest opportunities as the church is for us to have the presence of the Lord, to experience the presence of the Lord, and not just like Moses experiencing bringing a people to change just a little bit of land. We have the Spirit of God in every believer, moving all of us along collectively with one mission, to change the world with the name of Jesus. The question we have to challenge ourselves with is do my fears matter more to me than God's presence? That became abundantly clear in the life of the 10 other leaders that go into the land and they come back and they bear this false report. What is absolutely clear about them is that they cared more about their fears than they did the presence of God. If I care about God's presence, then I'm going to find myself in challenging circumstances. If I care about the presence of God, if we care about the presence of God, we are going to find ourselves facing giants in an unconquered land. We're going to find ourselves in situations where we'll be compelled, like Peter, to deny the Lord, either by our words or by our lives. We're going to find ourselves, if we care about the presence of God, we are going to find ourselves in situations where what God wants from us doesn't match our personality. Let me say that again. If we care about the presence of God, we are going to find ourselves like Gideon. We're going to look at Gideon in a moment in Judges chapter 6. If we care about the presence of God, we are going to find ourselves in circumstances where what God is asking of us doesn't match our personality. It doesn't match our shyness. It doesn't match our our boisterousness. It doesn't match our bravado. It doesn't match our meekness. It doesn't match our personality. Sometimes bravery in that moment looks like simply being quiet and present. Sometimes bravery in that moment looks like speaking out. The only way we're going to know the difference of what God wants from us is if we can experience the presence of God. God's not calling us to deny the challenges. I love that about this this account here in Numbers 13. God doesn't deny that there are giants in the land. God doesn't deny the challenges that rest before the people. He's calling us to trust that he is bigger than the circumstances. I've referenced Gideon a couple times. Let's look at his life now. Let's look at this moment in in Judges chapter six. What we've seen in Numbers is Fear leading us to sin. We see that in the life of Israel, that God looks at what they, they did in bearing a false report and believing all the hype about the land as despising him. So how can we face fear in a faith-filled way? Let's look at Gideon in Judges chapter 6, it's 11 through 24. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. By the way, you need air to thresh wheat. And so being in a wine press, which would have been a little bit underground, uh, 
taking that wheat and throwing it in the air, you're basically just doing work where no one will see you so that you stay safe. That's, that's what the writer is getting at is that Gideon's not really doing anything. He's just hiding. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, in the midst of this, in the midst of hiding his work in a wine press, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, you kind of see that Gideon's been sitting in this. Gideon's been thinking about this. Gideon's been really wrestling with where is God, because listen to what he says. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. A common circumstance in the book of Judges, fast, we're fast forwarded now, the people of God eventually take the promised land. They're now in the land. And because of their sin, they keep giving themselves over to, for, to foreign idols uh, and God is sending judges to try to bring them back to him. And they are under foreign oppression in the form of the Midianites. And Gideon is saying, why is this happening? If the Lord is with us, I remember all the stories from Egypt. Where is he? The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. In other words, we are the least qualified, and I am the least qualified. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Then he said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, Give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from a half bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of, the, uh, the angel of God said to him, take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone, pour the broth on it. And he did so. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace to you. Don't be afraid for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. It is in Ophrah of the Abizrites until today. What is happening is that Gideon has experienced what we've talked about. He has experienced the presence of the Lord. And what I love is that Gideon is faithful to seek this out, to really ask. Gideon is not shy about the fears that he has. Gideon is not shy about the circumstance that he finds himself in. He's laying that before the Lord. He's saying, God, why are we in this circumstance? Why are you choosing me? There's plenty of way more qualified people to deliver our people than me. I'm the least in my father's household. And I love the comfort that the Lord gives. It's not, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll pick someone else. Or fine, I'll give you a partner. Fine, I'll give you an army. Fine, I will remove the circumstances. 
the comfort that he gives is that I will, be, I will be with you. Am I not the one sending you? Is this not my doing? And then in the end, this vision for something greater from Gideon. Gideon has this vision of, this is the angel of the Lord. He has this external power from the presence of the Lord, this angel of the Lord appearing to him. He has a vision for something greater. He has an external power coming into his life because the presence of the Lord is with him. And the Lord is saying, I will be with you. And Gideon tests that. So what can we learn from Gideon in this? Gideon had an external power driving him towards a greater vision. God's presence was with him. He discerned how to hear from the Lord. That's the application for us is that if we wanna be like Gideon, the key here is not to seek after some uh, vision of the presence of the Lord or the angel of the Lord coming to us. Friends, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. What we need is to learn how to hear the voice of God. And what I love the most about Gideon is when he heard from the Lord, he acted. And here's what I wanna think about. What could taking Canaan, that moment with Moses and the 12 tribes of Israel, what could taking Canaan have looked like if they would have followed Gideon's example? So in, in, in uh, Numbers, they complain, they reject the Lord, they spread a false report, all the things that we walk through. What if they would have followed Gideon's example? Here's, here's what I think that would have looked like. I think they would have sought the presence of the Lord. I, th I don't think they would have denied that there were giants in the land. I don't think they would have denied that the land is fully occupied and there's trouble on every side. I think they simply would have sought the presence of the Lord. I think they would have asked, God, is this you? Is this what you want? And when he confirmed his presence, I think they would have taken a step. Maybe that looks like getting up to the edge of the land. Maybe that looks like mobilizing the army. And I think once they got the army right there to the land, they would have sought the presence of the Lord again. And then they would have taken another step after he confirmed it. And then I think that they would have taken one piece of property and they would have said, all right, God, is this it? Like, oh man, that was brutal. Are we gonna take another piece of land? And they would have sought the presence of the Lord again. And when he said something, when he confirmed his presence, I think they would have taken another step and again and again and repeat and repeat and repeat. I don't think that God is calling us to deny the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I think God is calling us to trust that he is bigger than the circumstances that we find ourselves in. There's a lot that I wanna get into thinking about um, victory. A lot of songs that we sing about victory and conqueror and warrior and bold and brave and freedom. And I think so many of those things that we sing those songs or we think about those ideas, we see them in scripture and we think about, where is that in my life? Why do I not experience these things? Why do, why do I not feel like, a warrior? Why do I not see God kicking down walls in my life? Why do I not see God climbing mountains in my life? I was just to be brief in thinking about that because I think some of this can lead us to a prosperity gospel thinking that God should do more than he has promised us in this life. Friends, in Christ, God has already secured 
this beautiful victory. Jesus has been our conqueror over sin, over death. We have an eternally secured hope for those words, for victory, for conqueror, for warrior, for being bold, for being brave. We experience a shadow of those things now in this life, but the real substance of those things, of all of the victory that we hope to see over disease, over death, over fear, over anxiety, God has secured those in Christ and promised us an eternity with him. And in the meantime, while we experience those things, we submit those to him and we trust him while we experience them. And so as I, as I prayed and really sought the Lord on how we could apply these texts to our lives today, I feel like God gave me this thought that I wanna share with you and something that I've, I've been wrestling with in my own life and I'm gonna share some of the things that God has really uh, challenged me with uh, over the course of this past week and the last two weeks really. I wanna think about something uh, and it's gonna sound kind of funny, but I, I really do hope that it will be helpful. It's an idea of, Macro bravery versus micro bravery. Let me think through that a little bit. Macro bravery is taking these big risks in life that we all come to expect, right? Like applying for a new job or buying a home. I'm talking about the big events in life that it, it, it really does take some bravery. It takes some, some fearlessness to walk into. Leading a new team or, uh, or proposing to someone or getting married, buying a home, uh, serving our military, going to war, defending your family, stopping a bully. Those are all things that, it doesn't diminish how significant they are at all. These are, these are just the forms of bravery that we come to expect is all I'm getting at. These are, these are things that we would say, yeah, that's, that's really brave, but it's not surprising. It's not something that we don't think micro-bravery. Micro-bravery is the bravery it takes to make the hard decisions in the little things of everyday life that add up to make all the difference over the course of life. And may maybe some examples will help. To me, micro-bravery, I'm not talking about how small a scale the bravery is, I'm talking about the moments themselves. Macro-bravery is the, seven, the maybe five or six extremely brave moments, like throwing a game-winning touchdown or taking, taking the last second shot and having the fortitude to do that or uh, hiking a really tall mountain with incredible altitude. These things that are huge feats, but we do them maybe six or seven times in our life where I'm saying in micro-bravery, we have so many little moments where we can choose to be brave. And I wanna, I wanna share a few forms with you as we think about these things. When I think about micro-bravery, I think about like dedication to being an encouragement to people, devotion to God and hearing from the Holy Spirit. Micro-bravery is discipline in health and money. It's learning to know God personally. Micro-bravery is refusing to speak negatively of other people. It's boldness to have hard conversations. It's willingness to forgive. It's boldness to believe the promises of God. It's being fully present with family and not just a body in the room. It's following through. It's keeping your word of what you said you would do. It's dedication to relationships over your own personality. It's not letting circumstances dictate your character. Friends, I, I truly believe that in a lot of these things, 
It's a challenge to do these things. It takes, it takes, it takes saying, I'm going to do these things despite my circumstances. When no one is encouraging you, it's not easy to be dedicated to healthy living. If everybody around you eats junk and nobody exercises and nobody takes care of their body, it's not easy to be the psychopath that likes to work out five or six days a week. When a lot of people in your life are negative, it's not easy to be positive. If everybody around you and all of your friends and all of your family are primarily negative, it's not easy to be positive. When most of the people in your life don't seek to hear from God, when most people in your life are not devoted and dedicated and don't really care about meeting with the Spirit, the decision to go out of your way and spend time with God and seek the Spirit, it can feel isolating, can it not? When a majority of the people around you are primarily shaped by their politics, it can feel confusing to try to evaluate the word through the world through God's eyes. When everything around you encourages you to focus on yourself and better yourself, it's not so easy to be generous and sacrifice for others. And here's a few areas just to be transparent and vulnerable with, with our church. Here's some areas that the Lord is pushing me to be brave in the small things right now. Being more present with my kids and not just a body in the room, not just working on something, not just wanting to hurry up and put them to bed so that I can do whatever else I wanna do, but truly being present with the precious days and years that I have with my kids. Being patient with my kids and, and just letting them be kids. I, I honestly, I need bravery. I need some boldness to be able to just let them be kids and be patient with them. Using a patient tone with my kids to correct, not just with my kids, but with my coworkers, with, uh, with Macy, with my family, using a patient tone instead of a harsh tone. Bringing the gospel to moments of correction instead of being harsh. That's, I, I, I need the spirit to move me in that way, to, to just take a knee and, and get down on McClendon's level and get on Charlotte's level and just be patient with them and take moments to share the gospel with them instead of just disciplining them so that I can move on. Focusing on the relationship instead of personality. The Lord's pushing me in that to, to not focus on how a person is saying it, but to focus on the person. Saying yes to hard things and not just taking on easy tasks. I don't, I don't want to simply do the easy things that I feel like God has gifted me in. I wanna say yes to the things that God is calling me to, even if it's something hard. Committing to physical disciplines that prepare me for adversity. Committing to prayer and hearing from the Spirit instead of relying on prep. Friends, I, I, will, I will preach under my own strength almost every time. And that has been the one freeing thing about this week is that I've experienced the presence of God and I've relied on him to help me prepare for this sermon because circumstances around me certainly didn't feel, I didn't feel inclined to preach. You know, I didn't feel like zealous to do my grandmother's funeral yesterday and then come and preach today. 
but I really, I really felt like the Lord had moved in my heart in a way that I, I just wanted to be here. I wanted to preach his word. I didn't want to only do easy things. I wanted to do hard things. But more than that, I wanted to be committed to prayer. I wanted to be, I, I want to be a man defined by my prayer life, that I'm devoted to the Lord day in and day out. Um, and I see that in so many of my coworkers. And I see that in so many of our leaders here at our church, that they are truly devoted to hearing from the Lord. And it inspires me. And this is something that the Lord has used in my life to sharpen me. Kind of starting to close this out here. I want to be like Caleb and Joshua. I want to say yes to the things that I know that God is in, regardless if they're hard. I want to be like Moses, and I want to meet with God face to face, personally. And what I love is that because of Jesus, I don't have to wonder if those things are possible for me. Like, I don't have to reserve that type of, of intimacy and personal relationship for people who are on the prayer team. Like, that is available to me because I am a follower of Jesus, and it's available to every person who's a follower of Jesus. Here's one big takeaway for us today. One big takeaway. God today, today, God can take fearful people and make them fearless because of Jesus. That's the overarching theme of our opportunity. We have the opportunity because of the Holy Spirit for God to take fear-filled people and make them fearless, but only because of Jesus. Maybe the best way you can apply the sermon today is, is this week, think of the one thing, think of one thing that you would find it hard to do. Find one hard thing that you're like, that sounds really hard and I don't know if I wanna commit to it. Do it. Do that one hard thing. And maybe even better than that, you should just get alone with the Lord and don't move until you hear from him. Does putting yourself in a circumstance like that feel scary? God is bigger. God will come and meet with you personally. If there's one application from today, it is that, is that the big thing that is gonna transform every aspect of our lives, it is being able to meet with God personally. I want you to consider this. With Moses, we have a small glimpse of what other people having just a little bit of the Spirit could do. With Jesus, he has shown us what we can do when the Spirit is in all of us. Friends, if I had one prayer for all of Connection Church is that every single person that calls Connection home and is truly a follower of Jesus, that they would be hearing from the Lord personally, that they would be hearing from the Holy Spirit and meeting with him and transforming the world around them. With Moses, he said, this is what God said to Moses, take this little plot of land. With Moses being full of the Spirit, with a few people with the Spirit around him, he said, take this little plot of land. With Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he has said, take the world. Take the gospel to all nations. Take the world. My Spirit will be with you. That is our opportunity. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you that the way that you have singled out those who have truly become followers of you is that they are sealed by your spirit. 
God, because not only can we know that you are present with us through your spirit, but we have the power to do hard things. We have the power to be brave in the little things, to bear the fruits of the spirit in all aspects of our lives, to be patient, to be humble, to be loving, to be kind, to be gracious. God, give us a spirit-filled sense of bravery to bring the gospel to bear in every corner of our life. Lord, may that be the light that chases out the dark corners and the dark niches and the dark shadows under the things that we don't really wanna surrender to you yet. But God, bring the gospel to bear on those. Holy Spirit, just flood into those places and make us different because you are there. God, give our hearts a hunger for your spirit. Speak to us, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, if you, that you have spoken to us through your word. And God, now may your spirit use your word to transform our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day again. God bless you guys.